Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Today, we have Haley Johnson on on the up and up, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation because one of the things that as a growth strategist and HR professional and with most of my background in operations from a lens of employee-driven organizations, marketing has been something that I have generally relied on outsourcing or expert support to get the best results. And so being an entrepreneur over the last few years, I've had to figure that out on my own. Um, And I met Haley in a mastermind in 2021, and we hit it off right away and were able to kind of meet each other where we were at me with the growing and scaling and HR stuff and her with marketing and brand messaging and just really has been such a valuable resource for me and friend. So it's a pretty frank conversation and um, we talk a lot about Haley's journey and how it's not always perfect and I appreciate so much how she's able to talk about her experience in such a real and authentic and vulnerable way. Um, another really cool thing to visit, revisit with Haley is all her LinkedIn experience and how through her agency over the years, she's avela- developed and evolved into lead generations through different platforms, but it has never been Instagram. It's always been through alternative means. And Haley actually ran my LinkedIn And it resulted in almost a thousand connections, tons of new um, contacts, a lot of a lot more visibility on my content. Um, And I can also attest to the fact that Haley really does embody what it means to be an authentic leader, building and maintaining her team to serve the business, but also having really open and honest conversations with her team as her business has grown and evolved over the years. So I think this is going to be a value-packed episode, but also really entertaining. So I hope you enjoy. And here's Haley. When I first started my podcast and I was putting guests on it six months ago, I sent you a link to sign up to get on my guest list and you never did. So now I've trapped you and you must be here. So there, <laughs> there are two reasons I didn't do it. Is One, six months ago, I was like not in a great place in terms of just like confidence about my business and just like not feeling so hot. So I was like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to do anything. I certainly don't want to be on a podcast. Like I got my own that I wrapped myself up in. Um, and then also I will do anything to avoid filling out a form. And so I just like, wouldn't put it on my to-do list. Cause it's not on my to-do list. I don't have to check it off. I just, I, <laughs> I didn't want to. So you may think you trapped me, but I'm on your podcast and I didn't have to fill anything out. So yeah. 
<laughs> no, send it to Angela. She'll do it for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I mean, for the back, for background, and I'm sure I haven't recorded your intro yet, but when I will, when I do, I'm going to talk about how we're friends and like, you know, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think it's really kind of funny to think about how, cause we have a podcast guest agreement and, you know, after working, I mean, I feel like I've been working for, since you were like a baby, um, cause we have a pretty big age gap. Um, and there's just been so many times when I've like leaned on contracts that I have actually been on other podcasts and not signed a podcast guest agreement. But when I started mine, it was like one of the main things that I invested in and made sure I had like set up through my workflows and processes and all Mm -hmm. that. And I don't, I don't know why I was like so completely freaked out about going and like needing to have everybody go through this process. But I guess that just goes to show you, like we all are motivated by different things. And for me, it was like, I can't start a podcast. I need a podcast guest agreement. And it's like, why? Like, I, I don't know. Like I do think it's really valuable, but I've been on like, we've been on a podcast tour for six months. And so I think I've been on like 30 or something podcasts since January. And I don't know that I've signed an agreement for any of those. I don't have one. It's so on I've just made it hard one. for people basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even know what was on the link. I didn't even click it. I was just like form. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it when I'm ready. <laughs> I will say that I have a couple of other really amazing business friends that also were like, no, Kira's not going to make me do this. And so they just haven't been on the podcast. <laughs> I, I wasn't like trying to get out of doing it. I was just like not making doing it. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is we're here. I'll fill out the stuff after the fact. Oh my gosh. No, I'm just joking. But I do think <laughs> it's kind of funny because like if you don't have a podcast, which I don't know, like a lot of our listeners are business owners. So they've either like toyed with the idea or they've been on other podcasts or whatever. But I feel like that's sort of behind the scenes stuff is kind of funny. Like I'm always like when I'm listening to like, you know, the Betches podcast, mm-hmm. like pretty much any pod- I'm like, do they have like what is their process like? Like, I'm like, what do these like big companies look like? Like, does Joe Rogan like send people a Dubsado form to get on this podcast? I don't know about that, but I do know that like on my end for the podcast stuff, I have it. It's literally just like book a link, send your headshot and bio to Angela. And like, that's it. Because if I have to prepare for a podcast, I get really nervous and I like write out my questions and I can't have like a normal conversation. And you can tell that if you listen to the first season of my podcast, but then for the second season, and then especially this like current one, I don't do anything. I don't even Google the person. I'm just like, you're on my calendar. You're on my podcast. Hello. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you your podcast is amazing. So I feel like there's no wrong way to do it, to show up and like have these conversations. So unless you're mean to your guests, does that happen? I don't know. You said there's no wrong way. And I found one. Oh, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think I was like, oh my God, are there podcasts out there where people are just mean? I will say (laughs) that I have listened to some (laughs) that are a little awkward, like where I feel Mm -hmm. like the hosts are like in a fight or something. And it's like kind of awkward. Like there was a time when I listened to my favorite murder, like religiously, I don't really listen to it anymore, but not for any reason. It just kind of fell off. And they literally had to like 
and they were like the number one podcast for a long time. Like they were mm-hmm. ahead of Joe Rogan and they've been around for years and years. And it's this, if you haven't listened to it, it's these two women that basically are comedians that just like tell each other murder stories. And it's like really long winded and you know, whatever, but it's so cool and fun. My mom, I got my mom into it. She immediately started saying fuck all the time, um, <laughs> which I thought was like really funny. <laughs> I was like, wow, you've changed. Um, but it, I, there was like episodes where you could tell that the women were like irritated with each other. Mm. And I was like, this is what I live for. Like, I wish they would just be like, we've, everybody feels like they know you. So why don't you just like, tell us about your fight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I also know that I am like really into Vanderpump rules right now. So everything is drama. Like Eric's like, I got you a Buffalo chicken salad and they forgot the ranch. And I'm like, what bitch? Like, Just like taking drama to another level, like the amount of drama that I've tried to create with like inane situations because of this like hunger that's been awoken in me. Anyway, you should watch it. I I know we already talked about this, but if any listeners watch Vanderpump Rules, leave us five star review and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but we're I'll here to talk to about my something important. I'll <laughs> add it to my to do list above filling out a form. <laughs> yeah. Skip that and watch Vanderpump Rules instead. So take this three minute task and actually mm-hmm. watch 40 hours of TV. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, I want to touch on two big things today. Um, just through just like how we're, you know, talking now, but one is I want to talk about our quiz and the results that you got and how you felt about it and your experience taking the quiz and then our course that we're releasing in the next couple of weeks, which by the time this episode comes out, I think it'll be right alongside each other. But also you are a professional quiz funnel builder and marketing strategist. And I want to dive into, and I want to start here, but let's dive into that because I think that most of what we do as entrepreneurs ends up being marketing and it's done so poorly in so many situations. And the sooner we figure out that we need professional help, if you are a consultant or a course creator or a creative entrepreneur and you have a team and you're struggling to have consistent sales, I mean, marketing is the answer. And I know that it's really hard to make that realization when it seems like a bunch of teeny little tasks that you can just get off your plate on your own. But I've learned the hard way over the years that it's absolutely not. Um, so how'd you get here and how did you get to this place where you've created your, you know, signature services and programs (laughs) and trademarked things that we, I just want everybody to really understand like how layered it is and how much you've learned along the way. Oh gosh. Well, so going all the way back to 1995 when I was a wee baby. No, I'm kidding. Um, So I studied sociology in college because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And by the time I like realized that I was never going to know what I want to do, I needed a major I could finish as quickly as possible. And so I picked sociology and then I graduated and I couldn't find a job because when you breeze through your entire degree and three semesters. You don't really have time to get like internship experience or anything like that. Um, But I'd always been good at writing. I'd always been creative. I had the one internship that was under my belt was a Craigslist internship titled creative intern. Um, And so I kind of leveraged every single thing I did with that internship as much as humanly possible to start freelancing. And so I did some freelance social media management. I did some freelance copywriting, blog writing, um, and it kind of just built up from there. 
Um, I did a stint at an agency where I accidentally became a LinkedIn expert. I learned everything there was to know about LinkedIn and then I got fired. And so I was like, gotta put this to use somehow. <laughs> and I started teaching other people how to use LinkedIn. Um, so that was a really big arm of my business for a while. It's definitely smaller now. And I like to kind of just have it as a resource um, and to use it to connect people. Um, but it's not like I'm trying to be a LinkedIn millionaire or anything like that. Although for a while, I think I thought that was what I wanted. Um, and so now I work with clients in the like low to mid six figure range who are really ready to take their marketing to the next level. Um, if Kira didn't know so much about marketing, I'm sure I would be hounding her to be my client um, because she's really at that point that like my ideal client would come to me at. Like they have their services locked down. They know what they offer. They know who they serve. And it's really just a matter of mastering that mix of owned and earned and paid media to get yourself in front of the right people at the right time without just like dumping all of your money into Facebook ads. Because if you do that and then Facebook ads stop working, you're fucked. Um, <laughs> so I do this primarily through my signature service, which is called the Marketing Roadmap. And this is a trauma-informed approach to building a marketing ecosystem that looks a lot less like a top, middle, bottom, step-by-step -step funnel and a lot more like a map. Your ideal clients come from different directions. They come at different points and they have different amounts of energy to take the scenic route or go through as quickly as humanly possible. And so when we create a marketing roadmap, what we're really looking at is how to build as much choice into that process as possible so that your ideal clients can really take the journey that makes the most sense for them. Um, and then once we establish your marketing roadmap, we do that with market research, messaging, positioning, the whole shebang. Uh, then we can work together in the long term to get as many people to take a look at that map and go through your process as possible. So that's what As I you were do. talking, I wrote down so many questions. So, but I know- <laughs> that you're, this is, I just think this is really important to touch on because especially when it comes to podcasts, I think we go to podcasts for entertainment, for inspiration, for education, but it's very rare that we have the opportunity to dig in a little bit deeper and be educated at a different level, but I would love to give you a chance to show off some of your skills. And I think that you say things that you think everybody understands and I appreciate the compliment, but I have no idea what some of those things were that you were talking about. So <laughs> okay. I would love it if you would explain to our audience of generally, I think everybody here is building teams, scaling their businesses. They may have a lot of interest in marketing. They may not like it at all, but there are things, you know, some of us, it's just, there are parts of it that we have to do. Like content marketing is something that we have to do. We have to put it out there. We got to, you know, make sure we have our crap together. There's so many different layers to it. And I want to like kind of draw our attention to those layers instead of skimming over the top of all the depth that you just provided. Um, so you said owned, earned, and paid media. Yeah. What the frick are you talking about? <laughs> so, so in marketing, like this is what we learned in grad school. It's called the media mix. And so your owned media are the things that you control. You control to some degree, the traffic that comes to them. You control what they look like, what they say, when they go out, all of that stuff. So your owned media is going to be the emails you send 
what your website looks like, what the words on your website are. If you have a blogging strategy, um, podcast would be owned media, um, basically anything that you control top to bottom. And then you're relying on people to find on their own. Um, you know, an, an example of someone finding your email list on their own would be like, they join it from downloading something or whatever. And then you're in control of how often you send emails, what those emails say, what that looks like. Um, and they have the choice to consume that content or not. Um, earned media is going to be your PR. But I think that with the way the algorithms are, I think a lot of social media is a combination of owned and earned, where you're in control of what's going out, you're in control of the frequency. But you're not really in control of how many people are able to take a look at it because, you know, Instagram wants people to like your content in order to show the content to more people. Like it kind of relies on engagement a little bit. So if you're creating shit online and people aren't looking at it, you're not earning those eyes essentially. So I think there's a little bit of overlap with earned and owned on the social media front. Um, but for the most part, other earned media is like your traditional PR. It's going to be podcast guesting. It's going to be getting on TV. It's going to be getting featured in like the LinkedIn newsletters. If you're commenting on a trending topic, that's earned. And then paid is a little more straightforward. It's anything you pay for. So if you pay for a media spot on television, that's looks like earned media, but it's paid media, um, paying for Facebook ads, paying for newsletter features, paying for the opportunity to speak in front of an audience, anything from there is um, paid media. And then actually, now that I think about it, speaking is another example of earned media, even if you do make money from it, because it's someone saying you are credible enough that I want to share you with my audience. And so that's kind of like what the message of earned media is. Oh, that's so cool. I never really knew that they, I mean, I knew like there's paid or organic, like even when we design jobs, we're like, if we're looking for specific types mm -hmm. of market in-house marketing people, there's usually a specialty, you know, that, that a marketing person with experience will lean into organic or mm -hmm. paid or, you know, whatever. So that's really yeah. interesting. Es essentially. Yeah. Organic is owned. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like one way to look at it, but I think there's a little bit of nuance there because you can kind of like blur the lines between organic and earned as well, because PR is organic to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Huh. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, now another thing that you mentioned that I think is really important to just kind of get out there, and this is probably a whole other podcast episode, but we, I know I've been with you on your journey. I've been a client of yours for when you were LinkedIn consulting, it made a really big difference for me, even just the educational piece of it. And I know that you're not leaning into that. So I'm not spending too much time there, mm -hmm. but more so just want to want to understand how you took all of that experience and you didn't abandon it. And instead you kind of just stacked on top of your previous services and previous interests. Can you talk a little bit about the decisions that went into that? Maybe some of the struggles that went into it as you, people call it pivoting, but I don't see that in this example. And I feel like people might benefit from hearing that you don't have to, you, you can do kind of more what you did and have yeah. more than one way to serve your clients, even if it's not like super niched. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that and how you developed from there? 
Yeah. So when I started with the LinkedIn stuff, it was really because I was just answering questions in like groups that I was in or whatever, where people would be like, I don't know how to find ideal clients. What do you mean search for them? Like what is happening? And I would be like, Mm -hmm. oh, you can use LinkedIn. It's super easy. Here's how. And then that turned into a lot of people booking really long calls with me to pick my brain about LinkedIn and then be like, cool, thanks, bye. Um, So I needed to turn that into something that could give value without taking all of my time for free because I don't think I'm like the hottest shit out there, but I do need to make money. Um, So I created a resource called Level Up with LinkedIn Lead Gen. It was a course that we ran live once as a group program. The beta version of that sold out. Um, and it was awesome. So I created all these resources. I like did the traditional kind of like build it as you go model for launching a course. And then I packaged it up into a course and priced it at what market research said I should price it at used messaging that when I continued to do market research to try to figure out why it wasn't selling, people would literally quote my sales page to me in these market research documents, having never seen it. Like it was all on point but like no one would buy it. And so then I was like, maybe it's missing the group element. I turned it into a group element. No one really bought it. Um, But then I started getting people asking me about content. So I created a content membership called Thought Leaders Collective. And I genuinely created the entire program on an airplane on the way to visit Kira, actually. (laughs) Um, I was like, you know what? If all you need to do is post on LinkedIn once a week in order to find some type of traction on the platform and then become comfortable posting more often and networking, I'll just write 52 prompts. We'll release them once a week. We'll call it a day. Um, And so that was Thought Leaders Collective. And it's been in existence for like a year and a half now. We're like coming up on year two. Um, And when I did that, I stopped offering the more comprehensive LinkedIn program because it just like wasn't I wasn't getting anything out of it so I was tired of putting so much into it um and I really just had thought leaders collective as this offer and then I packaged up some like profile information for how to build your LinkedIn profile into a course so I had like a $47 course and a $27 a month membership um and then recently as recently as Yesterday, we're recording this on June 2nd. Um, I actually closed the doors to Thought Leaders Collective for the very first time since we opened so that we could do a little bit of a shuffle and a redesign inside and take all of those resources that I'd created. I'd created resources for clients, I'd created resources for people who are inside Level Up, and I just created enough like explainer videos teaching people how to do random stuff on LinkedIn that I was like, I'm tired of this sitting for no reason. Um, And we were repackaging all of that up into the new Thought Leaders Collective, which is focused more on that thought leadership element and on using LinkedIn as a tool to expand your reach and impact as a thought leader. So how can we use LinkedIn to have enough credibility to then get those earned media opportunities? How can we use LinkedIn content to establish ourselves as experts in our field and say things that are worth reading and worth hearing? 
And then also adding in some of the feedback that I've received over the course of running the membership, which is people want accountability, people want co-working, people really want community out of the membership. Um, and so we've moved over to having a Slack channel that offers kind of that side of things, um, bonus prompts, little like updates and things that we're noticing. Um, so that's what Thought Leaders Collective is turning into. And it's not really a pivot, like you said, it's kind of just this amalgamation of like my entire body of LinkedIn created work that I'm finally getting to like use to help people, which is kind of the point in the first place. Yeah. And then you mentioned how you moved into your marketing roadmap and I love just all the nuance that goes into it. And you also went and got certified as a trauma-informed coach. Uh, trauma-informed entrepreneurship certification. So I'm not qualified to coach anybody to do anything. I also think I like telling people what to do too much to be a coach ever. Um, <laughs> you're the one who helped me with that distinction. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I pursued a trauma-informed entrepreneurship certification because I really hated a lot of the other kind of common tactics that are being taught everywhere for how to grow and run and market a business. Um, and I kind of had an inkling that just calling myself an ethical marketer or an ethical copywriter um, wouldn't hold enough weight because it didn't really hold any weight for me. I like I knew that I could just throw ethical on my website and people would choose to believe it or not. And so I felt like if I was doing that, there are probably other people out there doing that. And I didn't want to kind of get into that blurry line of like, what people are doing is unethical. Even these other people who call themselves ethical, like that just felt like a mess that I didn't really want to deal with. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to pursue a certification and the idea of a trauma-informed certification felt really good to me because it was about more than just calling yourself something. It was really about like believing that you can run a business in a specific way and that understanding that your actions have impacts, whether it's a part of your service or not. So these pillars of trauma-informed care, it's a big part of how therapists operate, how healers operate kind of in that space. Um, and those pillars are transparency, safety, and consent. So transparency, like, do you have to book a call with you in order to find out anything about your pricing? That's not super transparent. And there's probably a lot of people who need that information in order to make a decision. Um, safety. Do you make people make their purchase decision on the call? Do you tell them that if they don't make a decision on the call, things will cost more? Do you make them feel bad about wanting to consult their partner? These are all safety issues that we as entrepreneurs, I think, should be like responsible for when we're trying to get people to trust us with their money and their time. Um, and then consent is that final like core pillar. And it's really just the idea that like, this is a two-way relationship and you should know what I'm going to do or how it's going to impact you before I do it so that you have the opportunity to opt out. It's just like when you go to the doctor and they tell you like, okay, I'm going to roll your sleeve up now. Is that okay? Like they're asking you for your consent. 
it'll be weird if you say no and they can't take your blood pressure, but they're asking for your consent. And so when we see this in the marketing and sales side of things, that's asking people if you can DM them before just doing it. That's asking if you are on a connect call with someone and then they start sounding like they might be a good fit client for you saying, is it all right if I share more about this service instead of just jumping into a pitch? Um, and really leaning on those principles, both in my own business and also in how I create other people's marketing and sales strategies has just made me feel a lot better about being in the marketing industry, which I think at first thought can sometimes just feel sleazy and gross. And like, I don't like feeling sleazy and gross. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's, I think, I guess there's just so many buzzwords out there, trauma informed being one of them that I wanted to just kind of get it on the record that it's not just a buzzword. Like it's mm -hmm. very thoughtful and it's really an altruistic way to approach things. And it's also an option. Like you don't have to be a trauma informed entrepreneur. You can be whatever kind of person you want to be mm -hmm. um, in your business space, but you have centralized that theme in how you serve your clients, which I think is really I don't know. It's, it's valuable. It helps people understand who you are and what your values are. And it also helps us be better consumers and where we're putting our money. And especially as people have become a lot more choosy and picky about where they're putting their money. I know with my business, I've seen the sales process is just a little longer. Like you kind of mm -hmm. have to let people, it's a big investment. Like we're building HR. That's going to last the, the duration of your business. Like for you only have to do it once you get to develop and grow with it, but it is a big investment. Like it's not cheap to replace an entire HR person on your team, um, through yeah. our, through our programs. So it's weird. Like I, I thought that it made me a bad business owner that I couldn't close sales as quickly as I could before. Um, but I've just realized that we're still booking at the same conversion rate. It's just the sales process is a lot longer and in the way that you were explaining some of these things, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's really, it's not the idea that like you can either be a trauma informed business owner, or you can be a bad business owner. It's really looking at like, what does a trauma informed framework or like lens or web or map or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, I like anything that has more than one path, but that's mm -hmm. just me. Um, what does your business look like? Does slash do these principles overlay that in a way that makes sense? And then what I find for a lot of my clients is they come to me and I explain, you know, what it means to be trauma informed. And they're like, oh my God, that's what I've been trying to do. But everyone I talk to just wants me to like pressure for the clothes, hide the prices, do these things. Like people don't come to me. And then I'm like, everything you do in your business is bad. We need to tear it down and make you trauma informed. Or you're a bad person. It's like people come and they're like, I don't know what I want to do but I know I'm tired of being told to do things I don't want to do. And that kind of like collaborative relationship, collaboration is another like kind of one of the sub pillars that you can talk about when you're thinking about trauma-informed anything. Um, that understanding that if you come to me, I'm not just going to be like, ABC, here's your stuff, bye. You know, if you don't listen to me, that's your problem. It's a collaborative thing where we talk about what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? What are your goals? Why are those your goals? And how can we create a business that allows you to reach your goals while still protecting like 
your nervous system and your stress response and your just ability to function effectively in your own business. Yeah, that's interesting. And how do you think that this education and this type of, I mean, I think that you've always operated under the, under these assumptions to the extent that you could, and the certification probably just bolstered that gave you a language Mm -hmm. to talk, to speak to it a little bit more clearly. Um, especially, you know, I think we've known each other for two ish, two and a half years now. Mm -hmm. And it's never, it's not like you've flipped over into a different person. Once you did this certification, I think it just kind of gave you a a language and like a little more clarity on how you talk about it. Um, but one of the things that I think is interesting is that throughout this process of your kind of layering different services on top of each other, building out the marketing roadmap and just pursuing business in different ways, doing freelance here and there, learning more and more stuff. Like you, you just kind of do pull from so many different buckets that so many people can relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you think this knowledge or this part of who you are inherently, this trauma-informed, like people experience-centered part of you has dripped over into the way that you've led your teams and ran your business from a leadership perspective? Ooh, I think that's actually really interesting because I first built my team before I knew anything about like what it meant to be trauma-informed or really anything about like leadership you and I first started working together when I went from like me and one employee to like a team of like six or whatever overnight um and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing I didn't know how to be a leader and I felt like there had to be a right way to do it I am very like, if there is a rule, I will follow it. If there is a law, I will like stay on the right side of it. Like I'm very to the letter if there is a letter. Um, but that wasn't an effective way to manage my team. Um, especially because I was like being told there were ways to do things by non-operations and HR people um, and kind of like getting these weird ideas of what my role as a CEO had to look like or what my relationship with my employees had to look like. And none of it really made sense, but I didn't feel like I was allowed to trust myself to do something different. Um, I knew I'd had really bad managers in the past. I think most of my experience working for someone else has been being given a lot of responsibility and absolutely no agency. So there was a lot of like weird micromanagement, not being allowed to execute on things that I knew were like a good idea. Um, and then feeling like I was just wasting a lot of time. So I knew I didn't want to do that, but I was desperately searching for someone to tell me what specifically I was supposed to do instead. And like managing people is not a to-do list that you check off it's like a fluid thing that's a part of who you are so I think before going through this certification I was just searching everywhere for someone to tell me like what the rule is so I could follow it but then afterwards the entire process I think it was just me learning that it depends is an acceptable answer that you know, you can do one thing one way one day, you can do it another day the next. And as long as that's in alignment with your goals and the people you're working with, and you're not hurting anybody, that's acceptable. And that's good. Um, And so I think that entire process gave me the confidence to 
both in marketing, really lean on my expertise and my ability to kind of like vision stuff out and like map out all these different possibilities as an acceptable approach. Um, Because the trendy thing at the time was the framework. If you have a framework, you can replicate your framework and people can follow your framework. And that's what makes you a good business owner. But going through this, I realized like my framework can be, I'm just really good at figuring this shit out on the fly. (laughs) And so like, that's fine. And then bleeding over into my management style, I was realizing like, oh, I don't have to have all of these super hard boundaries and SOPs and to-do lists and like step-by-step ways to go through everything. I can have a collaborative relationship with my team, especially because now my team's just me and one other person. Um, But we can have a collaborative relationship and we can have agency and like they can have ownership over something and I can, you know, step in if I feel like it's not going the right way. But I can also like let them have that ownership and see something through to the end. Um, So I think it gave me a lot more permission to trust myself, which I don't think... I've had a lot of in the past. Yeah. I love what you said about, um, there's so many people out there telling you what you can and can't and should and shouldn't do, especially when it comes to things like team operations. And, you know, we have this podcast where we talk about the nuance that falls within all of that. But what I think is really interesting about this conversation is that you've pinpointed how to, find your lever of when you want to grow your business versus when you want to kind of lean back on things or, you know, kind of created a framework in which your foundation is there, your culture is there, and you are just kind of growing and developing as a leader over time, dependent on you actually gave yourself permission at some point to be yourself and to do Mm -hmm. it your way. Did you notice a, a sense of ease or I mean, that's how I felt. So I don't want to put it on you. So I probably should phrase this in a different way. But um, did you notice anything that changed once you did give yourself permission to lead and to manage your team differently than what you were taught or modeled by, you know, previous corporate bosses or, you know, other coaches or people that have told you stuff in the past about how to lead? Yeah, I think we've been able to get a lot more done. Um, Something that I ask myself a lot of times when I'm like, approving content or not approving content. Um, Basically, my team member, Angela, is responsible for pretty much anything public facing for my brand, which is just my personal brand or Propagy, which is where we have Thought Leaders Collective. Um, If you see it on any social media other than LinkedIn, like she probably did it. Um, And I felt like I was supposed to have this really rigid process of like giving feedback and having things be a certain way. And like, I wouldn't want to do that kind of like filling out the form for Kira's podcast. I would be like, I don't want to go through and make this look the way I want it to look. So we just won't do anything with it. And so there was a lot of content that was created that just like never really went anywhere. Um, But over time, since kind of finishing that certification, kind of sitting with a lot of the leadership that I learned when I went through PMF the first time and realizing that my business can look different from quarter to quarter as long as it continues to serve me and my life and my team and my team's life um and so we really embraced that I think as our culture is like when we sit down and we're like okay let's plan for the next quarter it starts with well what do you have going on next quarter 
Um, Angela is, I hope she doesn't mind. I'm just like talking about her all the time, but she um, is like a musical person. She's in shows. She was just in um, Hello Dolly. I got to actually go see her, which was awesome. Um, And so, you know, there have been times where she's, you know, editing a podcast for me on a tour bus going through New Mexico. Like her schedule is very up in the air and kind of all over the place. And so once I realized that, well, if her schedule is up in the air and my like capacity to be a person is up in the air, why don't we roll with that and make that part of our culture? And I know that's probably not going to be sustainable if I ever grow to be like a super huge team, but I love that we're able to sit down and do our quarterly planning, take a look at the calendar and go like, okay, I'm on vacation. You're doing this. You're doing a tour. You're doing these other things. What do we actually have the capacity for as just two people trying to figure out how to make this business work? Um, And then you know, she knows if I give her a task and she's like, I can't do this in the next two days or whatever the turnaround is, like, she's comfortable saying that. Or if she has a bunch of stuff for me to review and I'm just not getting back to her on it, she knows she can publish it. If something goes out with a typo or something goes out like with whatever, and I haven't reviewed it and given her that specific feedback, like, okay, it went out. Like, that's not something that we find important in our own marketing. If we're doing stuff for clients, we obviously check for typos. But (laughs) the idea that like she has agency and ownership and she knows that I trust her and her decisions because we start from that point of collaboration and like we know where one another's like strengths and limitations are. Yeah. And I love that because as you're talking, I'm just like having all these light bulbs go off because that's really the difference at its core between an employee and a contractor is Mm -hmm. that your contractor will let the content sit there because it's up to you to initiate and execute on it. But your employee, they don't just understand the task that you need, but they also understand why, which Mm -hmm. allows you to create a pathway of trust for agency ownership and a little bit more. I mean, I think it's a little bit more fun, especially when you have a small team to be able to cultivate those relationships in a really authentic way. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like if you did have to have a tough conversation with Angela, then you would have the trust to be able to do that. And I think that a lot of times where our newer managers, like maybe even you a year or so ago before PMF might've hesitated to even build this collaborative relationship because it's a lot harder to have Mm -hmm. a mutually beneficial, respectful, collaborative relationship and still be a boss and step into your leadership than it is to just have a task-based kind of check things off a list, boundary-driven relationship with your team. So I feel like it's a little, like everybody runs things differently. And I think you embracing that also as a result of your confidence to know that you can run shit if you have to, even Mm -hmm. if it is a little bit you know, not as fun that day because you, I, for me, that's how I like to approach things with my team too, is like, I always tell everybody, like, I didn't start paradigm with the intention of having a team. I was just trying to get out here and consult. And Mm -hmm. when, and then I realized within minutes of having a employee, like a a client, I was like, Oh, well I need help. (laughs) So it was really quick. Whereas other people might delay that for a lot longer and we want to help prevent that. But 
I think that having that humility also made me really prioritize those relationships too. Mm -hmm. So even the way that I lead my team at Paradigm, which is small and mighty, is a completely different way than I lead my team as a COO in a local business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going into the office and managing a team of directors and managers, it's almost like I have two different leadership styles, but at their core, I think they are the same, which brings me to our quiz results. So let's talk a little bit about your, I want everyone to take the quiz. It'll always be out there. It'll always be amazing. Whatever. I think it's awesome. It's like my favorite thing I've ever created, but mostly I just wanted to talk about your experience with taking the quiz, what you pulled out of it in finding out your type and like kind of put you on the spot a little bit for some ways that the type could learn a little more (laughs) about certain things. (laughs) Well, the first thing I have to say about the quiz is that I'm heartbroken that I didn't create it (laughs) because I've had people ask me and like, it's not to like to my own horn. It's really good. I, I could have created that. Like you did an (laughs) awesome job. Oh, um, But like it, it breaks my heart and people are like, oh my gosh, Carrie's quiz is so good. Did you do it? And I had to be like, no, she's too freaking good at everything. She did it herself. That's how that happened. But it's an awesome quiz. <laughs> um, and so the archetype that I got when I took it was the balanced mentor. And something that I am actually interested to see is once I am ready to expand my team again, how I can use that information to bring on that next team member, like how I can use my experience from using my leadership style to lead with Angela to understanding some of like the pros and cons of the flexibility that we do have in our relationship. Because I think like I could never replace her and get another thing like that unless I want to put another like two years into it just based on like how we built our relationship over time. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how I can learn to leverage my leadership style in not as like perfect of a scenario for what I needed at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, I have to say like you created this scenario and you will recreate it. Like, I think that I thought very similarly about some of my go-to people in, in certain businesses that I thought would never be able to be replicated or I'd never be able to replace them or I'd never be able to do it again. And I think I'm a different leadership style than you, but Mm -hmm. especially in your type as the balance mentor, that is just where you naturally fall. So you are going to create a culture that actually fosters more and more people that build trust and behave in the way that Angela does. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that you can sort of move forward with a lot of confidence that with knowing this about yourself, we can make decisions and even cater some of the hiring principles along the way for when it is time for you to hire again, Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're fitting within that style, especially if you want to recreate that relationship. Now you may end up in a situation, especially as a balanced mentor, because some of your strengths are going to lean a little bit more towards a lot of understanding and collaboration, but you might find that that might hold you back in some ways. If you have Mm -hmm. multiple people on your team that are serving the same purpose as Angela, it's like too many voices in a room. All of your attention is going to reacting to their ideas, which is one of the areas of opportunity for the balanced mentor is that 
you do have to kind of stop the collaboration very intentionally at some point or only have those types of two-sided discussions with certain people, mm-hmm. especially people on your team, because it's get, it can cultivate a scenario where there's too many cooks in the kitchen and it can feel unpredictable for the people that aren't in on every discussion. Mm-hmm. So it can be really cost costly to pay a bunch of people to collaborate with you for hours and then have to make a decision that feels really hard and it's going against different people's opinions. Um, But I do think that there is a path for you to kind of use this information to say, Angela and I collaborate a lot, but the other members of my team may not show up in the exact same Mm -hmm. way or serve the same purpose, but it's still really important for you to pull those great ideas and give them space to be creative. They just may not do it as a conversation with you because as your business grows, you're not going to have the time to have that same depth of relationship with everybody. Um, But I think as entrepreneurs, our balanced mentors often have like a right-hand person that Mm -hmm. they can talk to, collaborate with, collaborate with, highlight, you know, um, bounce ideas off of brainstorm with, you know, because that is where we, where the type three really thrives. Um, but where the type three can really learn from the other types, at least towards the beginning of the scale, the ones and twos is understanding your limits and setting really specific boundaries to make sure that there is an end to that relationship. And I think for you and Angela, it's built in because mm-hmm. there are only so many hours that she can work. And there's only so much the the type of work that you're doing isn't so dependent on scale scalability. Yeah. But I think as you're hiring your next people, like being intentional and understanding that about yourself, you're going to set that you want to set that expectation right up front. Like I can see you kind of taking your survival kit and bringing it with you to those interviews and saying, I do want people that feel like the culture that Angela and I have created, but I don't want them to expect the same type of investment from me because I really do need them to take things off my plate, be more task oriented, be more of an executor and an implementer, Mm -hmm. especially in marketing. You need those people on your team. Um, And I think it gets kind of washed away when we hire people to be implementers and executors that really are more collaborative because it feels like they're just like, they're going to take that those employees are going to take that and say, all I, I just have to go do what I'm supposed to do. And I don't get to have a voice, but there are plenty Mm -hmm. of employees out there that are like, I just want to do what I got to do. And then clock out at the end of the day. So I think depending on where you're at in your business, you have to be intentional on finding that person because you could have two employees that have the exact same experience. And one of them walking away thinking they were stifled and not allowed to be creative. And the other one walking away thinking they're getting everything they need from their job that day. And Mm -hmm. that's where hiring becomes and managing becomes really intentional based on how you understand yourself. And I think it's so funny. There's like huge anti-work movement about blah, blah, you know, TikTok, old bosses suck, whatever. And it's just so funny to me because it's like, I mean, you could have two people doing the exact same job. It has nothing to do with the job at all. It literally just has to do with how their manager interacted with them and took the time to understand them and motivate them and make sure that they're doing things that are in alignment with their position. Um, And the balanced mentor can get in kind of a sticky situation there because it can sometimes look to your team like you're riding the fence because you're able Mm. to see so many perspectives from when you're having different types of conversations. Um, So I think the biggest advice I could give you as you're as when and if you do decide to expand your team, um, and even if Angela starts to have more time that she can contribute, or if you start to notice that Ange- and I, I, Angela was my alter ego on, on LinkedIn for a while. So, and also I, she was Mrs. Appleberry in Cocoa Melon. 
and my niece and nephew met her and cause she came out after we saw her perform, um, in San Diego and like met my niece and nephew. Like they were so starstruck by meeting Mrs. Applebee. It was the cutest, <laughs> like sweetest thing ever. Um, but if Angela does, and she will absolutely take off in her acting career, then you will want to refer back to some of the things that we've talked about today too, because you may have to step into a different part of the balance mentorship to be able to really show up for her as well and be mm-hmm. able to say, this isn't going to be a good fit for you anymore. Like yeah. I want us to maintain our relationship, but like, go be famous. Um, I know, I actually, I'm like looking forward to her becoming too famous to want to work for me anymore. Like that's the dream. I'm sure it's the dream for her too. Like, <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso, but there was an episode, I think the, in the finale or the episode before, this isn't a spoiler, but one of the characters, their girlfriend forced their boss to fire them because they were like, if they're not fired from this job, then they're not going to go do what they're meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think the balanced mentor can see that. And just like you just said, like, I'm so excited for that day to come for her. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you have a small team, like every person on your team exponentially creates the culture that you say that you want. So having Angela there to help type type, kind of like hand it off to other team members is going to be super critical to your culture. And if there are things that that team member is missing that you're noticing when Angela isn't around, you can, you're going to be able to, because of your type, you're going to be able to notice that lean into it and create it in other ways. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of the other types struggle a little bit is for that consistency in culture. Whereas you may struggle more with consistency in execution or implementation, or even just like feeling torn between multiple perspectives, as you can see so many sides, but at work, yeah. you gotta, you gotta pick a side. I mean, at the, it's at the end of the day, like you got to show your team, like, here's the way forward and that's it. And that's mm-hmm. what they're looking for. And I think sometimes our balanced mentors will ride the fence to a point where their team's like, I don't know what to expect. I don't even know if they have my back or not. And that can be, that also hurts. Like it like emotionally hurts the balance mentor to get that feedback. Mm -hmm. So it can end up kind of causing like a vicious cycle of fine. I'm putting up my boundaries, but then we start to lose all the beautiful things that come with the innate way that you can read other people and help to cater their meaning towards their job. But I don't know. Have you seen any of that? I know it's been a little while, but I I also know that you've had some employees that have been tough, um, that have challenged you, but mostly have been, even at the end of the day, they're amazing. Even if they were challenging, have you ever Mm -hmm. seen this, these tendencies in yourself? Or do you feel like even a couple of years ago when you were hiring for the first time, this type didn't resonate with you as a leader? Well, I think I wonder you know, and most of my friends know, like I'm the queen of being the cusp of everything. Like my Myers-Briggs is like 5149 on every single letter. Um, I'm a Leo Virgo cusp. I'm a millennial Gen Z cusp. I like (laughs) secretly wonder if I'm like a cusp of two leader archetypes. Like I wonder what my second one was if I were to like take the quiz and think about like my second choice or something. Um, Because I do think that I have some of that balance in like the collaboration for like how something gets accomplished, but I'm like very solid. I'm being decisive of what I want accomplished. And I think in the past when I've hired, I've done the thing that I'm sure a lot of people do when they're making an early hire is like, especially because I was really young when I hired the first time, like, oh, they can just like figure it out. Like everyone's trainable. I don't need someone with a lot of experience. I just need someone who like seems like they can get the work done. Um, And then I would bring people onto the team who really needed a detailed SOP for doing anything. They really needed an explicit deadline. They really needed like step-by-step instructions. 
And I simply cannot do that. Like it is not, it's not within me. It's not a part of like who I am. I don't think I've ever done the same thing like the same way twice in a row. It's just not, it's how I cook, like the whole shebang. Um, and so I think that not knowing that about myself or about like having to look for someone else in that way um, was definitely a negative when I was looking for people in the past um, and something that I know to keep out for and like keep looking out for in future hires is like, I'm not going to tell you how to do something. I'll tell you what to do, but like you're going to figure out how to make it <laughs> happen. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think a lot about my future, like the future of my team and like how it's going to grow because right now I've kind of intentionally scaled my business back pretty extensively um, just because I needed like kind of a nervous system break. I like pushed myself really hard before I like got into all of the trauma-informed stuff. And then once I had that certification, I was like, I think I need to reset. Um, But I think a lot about what direction my team is going to take and like who my next hire will be and when can I join set to scale again because I need more (laughs) more advice from Kira Um, (laughs) just like I think about that kind of stuff a lot and I know that I have a lot more information and a lot more experience and a lot more confidence in my ability to hire lead manage than I did the first time around um but I don't really know what to expect Yeah. I mean, I think it's fun. It's fun to see because I know that you've kind of been coming into a phase and I I can cut this out if you hate it, but um, (laughs) where I don't want to say that you were floating a little bit, but I feel like you were kind of like collecting information for maybe the last year. Like it felt like you were very much like I'm educating myself. I'm researching. I'm making formulating like really strong opinions. I'm experimenting. Like it was Mm -hmm. a lot of like data collection until things sort of just kept solidifying for like what you've already built. And I think we can all relate to that in business in certain ways. And it's a really fun place to be that after you scale to a certain point, you don't get to do that that much anymore. Like you're, we just talked on your podcast, um, the messy middle, which is exceptional, um, about, that for me about how I'm like, you're like, what's been going on? I'm like, nothing. It's freaking boring. (laughs) Like I'm just trying to learn new stuff. And so even just creating this quiz, it was like lit up. Like I was like, this is, I feel so challenged in a different way. It's flexing a different muscle. Like it was just like a different, you don't in business, once you start to scale, things become really repetitive and you don't get to be as creative. So finding those ways to do that, I think is Mm -hmm. inherently harder to do. Um, But that's also why I think it's really important to have a really solid marketing strategy and a marketing roadmap in your business that you can stand behind. Because if you have that structure, then you can move within that to do the creative parts. And it Mm -hmm. it can, you can kind of pick and choose when you have smart people like you that are helping to consult and formulate on what that roadmap looks like. So then you get to kind of help build out the pieces that are really specific to what your business is showing you that it needs. Also, like, can we just talk really quickly about how people take marketing and they just think they're doing it because they're posting on Instagram, but there's no research. There's no like market research has like become a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. 
And like marketing consultants are not like, it's kind of, they're building scale. At least what I've noticed is that a lot of them are building like scalable offers that aren't spending a ton of time understanding the audience or the ideal client. Mm -hmm. I know that this is like basic bitch stuff, but like, can you talk about how important that is? Because that is a lesson to skip years of trying crap that doesn't work. If you actually like know your client, like, you know, yourself, because I feel like that was really hard for me at first to understand how much you need to research and understand the words of your people. Yeah. Well, before I dive into that, I do want to touch on the like me floating because I don't think you need to cut it out because I think it has been a really important year where I kind of like skipped a bunch of steps. Like I didn't have a corporate job leading up to like being brave and starting my own business. Like I didn't do any of that. I did go back and get a master's degree in, you know, marketing and advertising. So like I already knew what I was talking about and like getting the master's degree kind of just like reinforced that like, okay, yeah, I did. I did a good job figuring this out on my own, like cool, (laughs) go me. Um, But then this past year of kind of like bouncing around and doing a bunch of different things, I think was me overcompensating for not having any boss, but me on my resume. Like I really felt like even though I knew, I knew what I was talking about and I knew that I had an approach to building a marketing strategy that was like, not to be like, I'm better than everyone, but like that was better than a lot of what I was seeing other people doing. The only validation I had for that was like my own experience. And so I was like, okay, how do I go get corporate experience? Oh, get two part-time corporate jobs and work them simultaneously while also running your own business. Like that was my first six months of 2022. And it was like, yeah, it was me realizing, oh, wait, I do know what I'm talking about. I am supposed to be here. This is the right role for me. And I'm good enough to do it on my own because I was already doing it on my own. So I think like to say that I've spent the last year or so floating is sounds bad, but it is very accurate and shows, I think, that I care enough to validate my own opinion beyond just being my opinion. And kind of with that then ties into building a marketing strategy that is backed by research and does make sense for your ideal clients and for your business goals and your also like your personal needs. Um, I think that we get a lot of advice from people who were able to successfully build businesses by posting on Instagram, maybe before Instagram ads even existed, like before Facebook ads were a thing, before any of it was complicated and you really could just like kind of whisper into the air, like I started a business. And then all of a sudden (laughs) you're making like 10K months. Like that is a phase of the online business world that existed. And it is a phase that is over. So we have to stop marketing and trying to market our business that way. I didn't do shit for marketing for like two or three years. I didn't have a website for most of the year that I made like my highest revenue year ever. Like I built the business through having a solid offer and making connections and doing the research when I was on sales calls and learning about the people that I was selling to and like putting in the work to build the business. And that's something that 
you have to still do to this day when you're marketing a business. Like you have to have FaceTime with your ideal clients. You have to have FaceTime with your ideal clients who choose not to work with you and understand why, because the reason why isn't a mindset issue. It's an actual reason that needs to be like respected and not just overcome. Like I hate overcoming objections. We're not overcoming objections. We're helping people have enough information to make an informed decision about how they want to spend their money. And that is the goal of your marketing strategy. The rest is just the media. And that's like one piece of a very large puzzle. Yeah, I know. It's so nuanced. And like every time I, I never... I appreciate you saying nice things about me, but like, I never, I don't know any of that. (laughs) Like, it's very much like things. I think we do underestimate ourselves because if you consume enough content in the online business space, then you are made to feel like an absolute idiot because there's so (laughs) many things that you don't know that you don't know. Um, But when it comes right down to it, I think if you have been running for a business for a while, like you inherently do understand how things play to each other. Like you have to have a quality product in order to have quality marketing. You have to have a quality brand in order to like really get the best out of your marketing, but it doesn't have to look a really specific way. Like your brand can be plain. It can be black and white. It can be straightforward. It can be Helvetica. But as long as it is representing all across all channels, then you're doing great. It doesn't have to cost you $20,000. Like a website doesn't have to cost you $20,000 to make sales. Mm -hmm. Like I think the main thing is that we need to give ourselves some credit. Like as people that started a business, like we have to give ourselves some credit. Like there's no wrong way to find your way in a year, things are going to look totally different and we strive for permanence, but that's not, if we keep looking for permanence, we're just constantly going to be failing. So we just have to kind of get like a little bit better all the time. Mm -hmm. And as you're building a team, like you'd have to take accountability for other people. And I think that's one thing that you've done really well and taken it to, to heart and taken it really far. I mean, to retain an employee for a really long time the way that you have is no joke. So good freaking job. She stayed <laughs> with me longer than I've stayed anywhere. So <laughs> um, I do want to touch on one thing you said, though, about like you don't have to spend $20,000 on a website. And I feel like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I probably pissed off the entire business coaching industry on my podcast. So now I'm going to have brand strategists come for me. Um If you have a solid marketing strategy, you can pull your brand strategy from that. If you have a solid marketing strategy and it's backed by research and you've talked to your ideal clients and you've gotten that like voice of customer information, you can build a messaging strategy. You don't need to get this specific strategy from this person for $5,000 and this specific strategy from this person for $5,000 and this specific strategy from this person for $5,000. You can kind of like look at the whole thing all at once, build out your entire strategy, and then that can tell you how do I decide what colors to use in my brand? How do I decide what the user experience looks like on my website? Because you understand how all of those pieces fit into your bigger picture marketing strategy or marketing roadmap. And you can make those educated decisions. Um, Cause I have a lot of people come to me and they're like, Oh, I'm not ready yet. Like I'm getting my website redone soon. Like, and then we'll talk. And I'm like, well, what if you get your website redone and then we make some changes? 
like, what if you get your website redone and then we realize it doesn't align with your goals? So there's like different levels to all of that. And I'm not saying that, you know, brand strategy is bad or that like website strategy is bad. It's just that like, those are all smaller pieces of a bigger puzzle. So like, you don't have to cobble them together because there are people out there like me who (laughs) will build like the whole puzzle for you. Yeah. I love that. And that's really the function of the roadmap. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Well, I know we've talked for so long. I don't even know how long it's been, but tell everyone (laughs) where to find you and how to pay you. Uh, You can find me at HaleyEJohnson.com and you can take a look through my services. Um, My primary service is the marketing roadmap. It's like a done for you market research, messaging strategy, positioning. We go over your offers and your pricing and we make sure everything's in line with, you know, where do you want to be in six weeks? Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in six years? We really look at creating something that you can go through and do this once and then you don't have to change your entire business again in six months because you realize like none of your pricing makes sense for your ideal client or something like that. Um, So that's the primary way to work with me. I also offer some marketing operations sprints just because I really like doing things like building quizzes, writing case studies, auditing website copy. So if you're interested in something that's not complete, like done for you marketing strategy, there are a few ways to work with me there. And then In July, we'll be opening the doors again to Thought Leaders Collective, which is my membership. It is $97 a month, um, but depending on when you listen, maybe there'll be a promo, who knows. Um, It's $97 a month. We have weekly co-working, accountability, and community in Slack, um, and we're working on putting together a resource library, a member directory that would be public, so you get like backlinks. Again, that's earned media. and just a bunch of other stuff to make it like a really easy place for you to come and establish yourself as a thought leader, essentially. Um, and you can find all of that at thoughtleaderscollective.com. Wow, cool. I didn't know you had your own vanity URL for that. That's fancy. I do. I just bought it because <laughs> I learned how to buy URLs on Google. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to do it until a couple weeks ago. Um <laughs> And then, oh, and if you like listening to my voice, I have a podcast. It's called Messy in the Middle, and Kira has four episodes all to herself. (laughs) (laughs) So you can get more of this if you want it. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Haley. You're the best. And I can't wait for everyone to take the quiz and also keep a lookout because by the time this episode comes out, our uh, new workshop about tackling tough conversations is out as well. So I can't wait to see what everybody thinks and Haley for you to give me really critical and amazing feedback when we go through this whole <laughs> process. So amazing. <laughs> hope everybody enjoys the episode. Don't forget to leave a review and I'll see you or hear you or you'll hear me next Wednesday. <laughs> okay, cool. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.